going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Well, good afternoon. I'm Jody Hughes in for Joe. Joe asked if I could come in today so he could get some stuff done. And I looked at the calendar and saw it was Wednesday, which means Wine Wednesday, which means the answer is always yes for coming in to fill in. So uh, that is part of our show today. We actually have a huge variety of topics that we'll be covering and we welcome your feedback at any time. 403-974-8255 by text and uh, we'll also take some of your phone calls this half an hour. I have an issue that I'm looking forward to chatting about. We'll get into it in just a couple of minutes but uh, I want to get your feedback on uh, City Road. So that's part of our topic today. Uh, Phil Darlington, Global Edmonton reporter took a look at how streets are being managed across uh, the province of Alberta, uh, different places in our country, and uh, just trying to get uh, an idea. Are we getting the best bang for our buck? Are roads uh, being managed the way that we think is appropriate? Are people happy with how clean their streets are? Today is World Radio Day, and uh, we are going to be chatting with an old friend of mine and uh, somebody who knows the world of radio very well, Jerry Forbes. Uh, Him and I worked together on CJ92 years and years ago. His father, Jerry Forbes Sr., was an absolute legend up in Edmonton at 630 Ched. Uh, My father, Jimmy Hughes, has spent many years, many decades on radio here in Calgary. So Jerry and I are just going to go over a little catch-up session we haven't had a chance to do this for a while. We'll talk a little bit about what does radio mean to us? What does radio mean to you, the listener? And find out ways that uh, we believe and hopefully that you will uh, also participate in that uh, radio has influenced and helped out and been an instrumental part of your life. We have Valentine's Day tomorrow. Uh, Lots of folks getting geared up for that. And so... The new survey has been done talking about cannabis and Valentine's Day. Well, cannabis and love, really, and how pot might help out your love life. And so we'll check in with Carlin Costa. She is a registered psychotherapist, sexologist, and cannabis educator. It's a lengthy title. We'll talk about what the results of that survey say about the number of people across the country who are implementing cannabis as a part of their love routine. And we'll get into a a new exhibit over at MRU. I thought this tied in nicely with World Radio Day and the theme for World Radio Day this year. We'll talk with uh, Curtis, uh, the curator of a new exhibit called Identity, which just goes into taking a look at who we are in the world and uh, how the world fits in around us. I wanted to welcome to the program Phil Darlington from Global Edmonton. Phil, thank you so much for making time for us this afternoon. Absolutely. Happy to help. Tell us a little bit about what the stories that you've been working on. I think that uh, I've lived in Edmonton. I've lived in Prince George. I've lived in Calgary. And it doesn't matter where I live. People seem to complain about the way that their roads are managed. But that is kind of the focus of your story is, are you getting the best bang for your buck when it comes to snow clearing? Yes, that is the focus of the story. And like you, I've lived in a number of Canadian cities. I'm originally from Toronto. I know I can hear the booze already. <laughs> um, but you well, made a I good choice. Say- You're here now. 
Well, yes. Uh, I've lived in Mississauga, I've lived in Thunder Bay, I've lived in Regina, now Edmonton, and I've traveled across much of the rest of Canada. So, like you, a common theme is everybody likes to complain about the roads and say they have the worst, and I thought, okay, so who actually does have the worst? So I spent some time, I contacted all of the cities, I sifted through a huge amount of data through Environment Canada to pull up old snowfall records and populations from StatsCan and compiled it all to just see where everybody stacks up as far as snow clearing is concerned on our city streets. And what, I mean, that's a, ma- I do this all the time with weather. Uh, I know it can be a massive undertaking to take a look at uh, just that data and then to see some cities you're dealing with, like Calgary, the warm-ups with the Chinooks, which we often in our city take for granted and use it, it seems to me, as a part of our, of our snow clearing. But uh, not every city has that luxury. Yeah, I mean, it's a wonderful tool to have, and unfortunately, it's difficult to account for it because when I was sifting through the Environment Canada data on snowfall, of course, some cities have snowfall listed as snowfall listed. Other cities only have what's called the liquid equivalent. So we used a standard, or I used a standard ratio of sort of 15 to 1 across the board just to say, okay, look, here for the year of 2017, Here's a rough idea of who saw more snow than others, just so everyone has an idea and the argument then can't be made, well, you didn't factor in how much snow fell, right? It's just Mm -hmm. sort of a baseline to, to jump off of. Of course, there's many other factors, the climate you know, city crews, uh, Chinooks in the case of Calgary and some of the surrounding areas. So, there, of course, there are some variables, but as far as snowfall is concerned, uh, the, the most that we saw in Canada was Quebec City with uh, quite a bit, 748.2 centimeters. That's a lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, especially when you factor in that Calgary the same year got 144 centimeters. Well, 144.6 to be precise. Edmonton got 186.45. And if I consult my notes here, it does appear as though the least amount was felt in Vancouver at 43.4, although I'm sure to your listeners and everyone tuning in right now, that doesn't come as much as a a surprise. No, for sure not. And I mean, there's a difference too between, you know... I, and this is obviously, like you're saying, difficult to qualify, but uh, the dense, the wet snow versus that, you know, snow like we've had recently in Alberta where it's, you get some and it just freezes and you're now stuck with ice. So yep. what did you find? Is there a huge variety of, of approaches across the country in how cities are dealing with this? So the similarity that I found when I spoke to the uh, snow clearing and snow removal department for each city in Canada was... They all prioritize their roads, and it seems as though highways, main arterial roads, these kinds of corridors are the first priority. And it makes sense, Mm -hmm. right? You've got the the collector roads, the the side streets. Of course, they have volume, but it's not anywhere near what you would see on the the larger roads. So they prioritize the larger arterial. Pardon me, arteries, and then they, as time goes on, move through the smaller, less crucial roads of the city. And of course, in the case of Edmonton, they don't even bother plowing the residential roads; they just blade it down to a five-centimeter snowpack. Now, is what do they do here in Calgary? I mean, we've been discussing this for a while about you know. Recently, they added uh, beet juice; they're they're calling it. You know, we have a. a a substance they use called pickle, which is a, a mix based on the temperatures and the variance. Is there also a difference in the substances that they're using to help melt the snow? 
Well, I know that, yes, beet juice was something that was brought up when I spoke to some residents here just to sort of get a feel from Edmontonians on things that the city could be doing differently, and they certainly brought up the beet juice in Calgary. And I know that it's been a hotly debated topic here, the sodium chloride, because, yes, it does help to melt the snow, but it also corrodes vehicles more quickly. So it is, there are other elements that can be employed. Unfortunately, as you well know, <laughs> the colder it gets, the less effective these solutions are. Even, even sta- standard you know, rock salt for the roads becomes less effective with the drop in temperature. So again, just like it is with a Chinook to factor in, there are some variances that are, are difficult to factor in when you're saying, okay, this is actually how much snow was on the ground on these days. But yes, there are other things that cities have been doing to try and combat the snow accumulation. I've heard people who've moved here before and they laugh when we say that we are, you know, clearing the roads. They all say you're not clearing the roads, you're packing it down. And, you know, in our city, we can look at the roads that are managed by the province, Stony Trail or Deerfoot Trail, and they get it down to the cement. And all of our priority road, uh, priority one roads are, it does seem to be packed down. So is there a difference in that as well? Some cities just outright, <laughs> well, it, 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 gets, <laughs> it gets very complex because there's so many cities in Canada and depending on their climates, equipment available, budgets, it, these things all play a factor in how they manage the, the roads. But I can tell you here in Edmonton, one of the problems that the city has admitted they're facing is since the last snowfall, we, we saw the last major snowfall that the city saw was on the same day as a huge drop in temperature, and the temperature just kept falling through the weekend following that snowfall on the Friday. So while the city wanted, in their own, they admitted, they said they wanted to clear the roads, the main roads down to bare pavement, they couldn't because it was freezing over and turning to ice. Mm-hmm. So they still haven't fully cleared the main roads here in the city, and people, of course, are complaining. The city said they didn't only put sand down, but they've actually put down rock chips on our streets now to try and improve traction because it's so bad. And I think, I mean, credit where credit's due, they're doing what they can, and it is understandable. It's, uh, it's probably quite difficult to get the ice off the pavement, and I'm sure it's not good for the pavement or the equipment to do it. But, yeah, it's, it's a real battle. What did you find for the difference in budget for what cities are spending across the, the country? Well, it's interesting. I mean, again, there are some cities which have colossal budgets, and there are ones with very minuscule ones. So if we look at the largest, that is Montreal. And just to put this in perspective, I mean, we here in Edmonton last, or in 2017, spent just over 63, almost 64 million to clear the roads, but Montreal spent almost $200 million to maintain the roads. Now, I don't know if any of your listeners have ever traveled to Edmonton or to Montreal or to any of the other cities, so it's a matter for them to decide whether or not they thought the winter roads were, were being cleared properly or not, because, again, it varies city to city. But Calgary spent $38.1 million, So I don't think that surprises any of us. <laughs> No, in and of course, <laughs> well, of course, when you when you say it in millions, it does yeah. sound like quite a bit of money. But it, you know, thirty eight million for a city of Calgary is it's a decent chunk of change. But two hundred million for Montreal, and then you have to factor in. I mean, Calgary of all the cities in Canada, the city is responsible for clearing the most lane kilometers of road of any city. Calgary, sixteen thousand kilometers they're responsible for, and that that's before we factor in sidewalks. That's just streets. Mm-hmm. So that snow removal budget, when they're, again, city to city, do they, do some include sidewalks and bike paths and others not, or is it all pretty consistent? 
some cities did include sidewalks and bike paths in uh, some of their numbers, but I've chose to focus on just the roads because it does get tricky when you factor in sidewalks and bike paths because, of course, as residents know, they are if they own a piece of property that does have a sidewalk on it, they are responsible for clearing it. And it does get kind of tricky when you have to say, okay, so what's the resident responsible for clearing? What's the city responsible for clearing? It, it sort of gets difficult. And I mostly wanted to focus on the road conditions mm-hmm. for our, our viewers and listeners. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. Uh, we're getting some feedback here on our text line, 403-974-8255. Uh, one person writing in and saying the roads in Calgary are in pathetic shape and the blame goes right to Nenshi. Uh, have you, I want to just get you to hold for one second here, Phil, but one the question I want to ask is uh, whether or not you had a chance to look at uh, the budgets as far as year over year. Have they uh, been increasing or decreasing in some of these cities or maybe you didn't have a chance to go through that info, but... Uh, I'm going to put you on hold for one second. We're just chatting with Phil Darlington. Phil is a Global Edmonton reporter, and he's done a really thorough job of taking a look at uh, the budget used for snow clearing across Canadian cities and seeing whether or not each city is getting their top value for their tax dollar. We'll get back to Phil in just one second. Good afternoon. I'm Jody Hughes in for Joe. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you to Phil Darlington taking some of his time just starting your shift today, Phil. And we're throwing you on the radio here in Calgary. Uh, Phil is a global Edmonton reporter, has done a very extensive report and in-depth uh, research on how we're taking care of our roads across the country. So, Phil, uh, did you notice or did you have a chance to look at the data to see if budgets have been increased over the years or decreased? Or was that even a part of this story? Yeah, so I did compare some of the previous and and past years for budgets. I sort of looked at 2016, 2017, and then some areas were able, or some cities, pardon me, were able to give me their 2018 totals. What I found is a lot of places fluctuate a little bit, but they sort of have a a bar standard and then are prepared to add more. Should, for instance, it be a exceptionally snowy or icy kind of year, they'll add more in if the streets need to be cleared. cleared, pardon me, because ultimately they know that regardless of the weather, the roads can't just be left as is. They have to do some sort of cleanup, even if they are over budget. Interestingly, though, and I mean, it's not really all that surprising when you really think about it, but Victoria told me that they don't actually have necessarily a snow plowing budget. They just allot $36,000 annually to maintain their equipment. Of course, if your listeners know, they've been seeing quite a bit of snow lately and mm-hmm. it's been a struggle, but I mean, for a place like Montreal, they said typically they spend 160 million an- like annually and then for 2017 they had to go over and they pushed it to almost 200 million so they just said you know and even 200 million for 2017 so it does seem like there's sort of a, a general bar standard that may fluctuate a little bit but they are prepared to spend over that if necessary to keep the roads in at least some kind of usable form Well, and I mean, we ran into situations, we had it last year, where you guys sent down a bunch of your trucks to help us out because Mm -hmm. Calgary got hit with an unprecedented amount of snow in Mm -hmm. spring. And I mean, that can happen and it can work for cities like ours where we can share our resources. But for some places, that really isn't an option. So I have to think that satisfaction in some cities might be uh, even more uh, negative than in, in places like Alberta here in Calgary or Edmonton. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if, I don't know if you were ever in Toronto or know the story, but there's been a couple winters in history where they've called out the military to help clear the road because they said it's just so bad we need all hands on deck to do the job. 
Um, I remember when I was a kid that uh, that story coming out that the military had been called in and the soldiers were out helping to, to clear the streets. So cities, I think, understand that no matter what they do, they have to be prepared to go above their, their plans to, to keep the roads open. So in your observation, if you had to summarize who you think is doing the best job of managing their streets, what would you say? Ooh, that's tricky. <laughs> I mean, between... So let, let's start between Edmonton and Calgary. I think Calgary is probably getting the better end of the deal. If we break down, and I have the populations here. So in 2017, the city of Calgary had just over uh, 1.48 million people and Edmonton had just very close behind 1.41 million people. However, for that same year, we spent per person almost $20 more to do the same job. And remember, the total kilometers for Calgary is a lot more. So I think Calgarians compared to Edmonton are getting a better bang for their buck when it comes to clearing the streets. Well, and we do have the benefit of having Chinooks usually, which can help us out. So in theory, we, we should be ahead in this story, right? Yes, and also, and that's, that's not even taking into account the speed at which the city clears the streets. So if we take a look at the time to clear, it takes Calgary, according to their personnel, between 24 hours and 7 days to do all the city streets. It takes our city a couple of days to a couple of weeks to do the same job. So it takes our crews longer to do fewer kilometers for more money. So I think between the two cities, Calgary is certainly getting the better deal. Unless you're a worker and then you want to go up to Edmonton. <laughs> for sure. Uh, That's fair, yes. If you, if, you, uh, if you like being out and plowing, then yeah, there's, there's, uh, it does take longer to do the job up here. <laughs> Phil, thank you very much. I look forward to uh, reading more about this on globalnews.ca. Uh, thanks for your time today. We certainly appreciate it. All right. Thank you very much. Well, good afternoon. I'm Jody Hughes in for Joe on World Radio Day 2019. I'd like to welcome to the program my friend, uh, a mentor of mine, and a legend in Calgary Radio, Jerry Forbes. Jerry, thank you so much for joining us today. I was going to say, anytime you follow the cork dork, you're okay. <laughs> I don't know. This is a pretty spectacular <laughs> wine. I have to say, I think you'd enjoy this one. I was saying, Jody, you have more jobs than Michael Strahan and Ryan Seacrest together, so I'm happy to come on. <laughs> I needed a break. That's what it is. <laughs> so, Jerry, your dad, for folks in Calgary may not know, uh, your dad was an absolute legend in radio in Edmonton. So you grew up in this industry. I also grew up in this industry. Uh, obviously, or I, I guess I'm assuming, that must be what inspired you to get into radio. I'm thinking since the age when you were 10 and I was 10, there was a big difference there, but uh, <laughs> you knew what you wanted to do when you saw your dad go to work, and, and uh, you saw what a great job he did, and how he worked with the community, and, and how uh, local radio was so important that you thought, hey, that looks like something I want to do. It never felt like a job when I did it, so nope. I, I guess still doesn't, but uh, you and I often talked about that. We we were on a show together on CJ92 for years, and uh, I, we always marveled that, you know, we'd put, I remember us having these moments on the air and turning off the mic and saying, we just got paid for that. Absolutely. I mean, just think of what we do for the community, the, the radio stations, like uh, QR's got the Calgary Children's Foundation. What they did at Christmas was amazing. And then what Chorus did with the Children's Hospital just a couple of days ago, 
Uh, if you don't have local radio, I, it, none of that stuff happens. Well, and you, of course, uh, instrumental in, in a program at your station, the uh, Jerry Forbes Kids Fund, your father up in Edmonton. Uh, I think that's the stuff that, uh, when you're a part of it, it makes you feel so proud of it. But it's also just neat to be uh, that have that opportunity, I think, to uh, meet so many people throughout a career. It really is a privilege, what we've done. I mean, and, and like you said, to think you get paid for it, and you do it for so many years. You meet so many interesting people. You go so many places. You're able to come back and help the community. They just set up the Jerry Forbes Center in Edmonton, which uh, houses some 30 charities under one roof so they can all help each other. And that's what radio is all about. I still get asked all the time, and you and I, we weren't, we haven't been on a show together for nine years now, and I still get asked all the time, what is Jerry Forbes really like? Don't People tell are, him. <laughs> <laughs> I still signed that agreement, and I stuck with it. <laughs> but quiet, I, Jody. <laughs> I remember it when I first met you, when I was in, uh, just finishing high school, and I, I have to say, you know, I not much gets me jazzed as far as this industry, only because in the sense of who I meet, because I think every Everybody is a person. When you grow up in it, you would know this. When you grow up in this industry, you know that everybody is just, you know, it's a job. They're just real people. But I still remember the moment that I met you and walking away and saying to my friends, I just met Jerry Forbes. It was so exciting to me. You know what's amazing is the people we do meet, though, and usually the biggest stars are the nicest people. Isn't it true? Yeah, it is. Uh, you must also get asked, you know, who is it that you most remember interviewing or, or who's the one that sticks in your head? Just hanging out with Jody Hughes. <laughs> No, we, we had so many great people. The guy I was really surprised by was Tom Green. He was an incredibly nice guy. I thought it'd be just a horrendous interview, and I thought he'd just be like a, a wild man. And he was such a down-to-earth nice guy. That reminds me of another person. I don't know if we want to go down this pathway that we interviewed, and we were both shocked at, uh, you know, you thought, gee, he's not doing well. Do you, do you remember when we interviewed? Oh, I've had several. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Bullard, does that name come to, uh, to yeah. <laughs> I, I, maybe I won't say the negatives yeah. on this one. Yeah. Um, what about sports figures, movie stars, any of the other ones besides? Anyone who's really stood out to you? Uh, you know what? I just, you know, I, I was a job to me. They just came in and they left. But I, I mean, mostly, almost, I would say, uh, with the um, exception of maybe five people, I probably interviewed, you know, maybe, what, 200, 250 people. Uh, and, and I found everybody to be super nice. I think it's so neat, too. I remember, you know, being a kid and radio was such an important part of the world. I, I have these vivid memories of walking into my grandma and grandpa's kitchen. The radio was always on. It was on top of their fridge. And they always had on the country music station that my dad worked on. And I just remember that feeling of, you know, radio is always with you wherever you go. And, I mean, you must have also experienced that, you know, historically with your father. I think you just, you inherit you inherit the business from your parents if they're in it. <clears throat> and Jimmy was such a great guy. Not that Jimmy's dead. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, was, just saying, I was just saying. Could you not Jim, go there, please? <laughs> Jimmy on the radio, Jimmy on the TV was always just Jimmy Hughes. Gord Gillies, same thing. Sue DL. I mean, all the people are really nice people on and off the air, and I just found it so refreshing to be able to work in such a great industry. Isn't it neat, too, that when things go wrong in this city, I mean, I was working in Prince George when 9-11 happened. I remember the stories you guys told about when it happened for you and how you just abandoned rock programming and you went into a, a news format. I mean, sometimes those are the moments when, that, when radio really is uh, that one companion you need to keep with you. And once again, local. When something happens locally and you need to, a place to find out what's going on, boom, you go to radio. Absolutely. Well, Jerry, happy World Radio Day, my friends. You betcha. You now you get to one of your other 14 jobs. <laughs>
I'll do what I can. Okay, <laughs> Thanks, Take care, Jerry. buddy. It is uh, World Radio Day. That's Jerry Forbes. But many years in Calgary. Worked here on 770, uh, a number of different radio stations, but he's iconic for working uh, on uh, one of the rock stations here in town. So, Jerry, thank you for your time today. Good afternoon. I'm Jody Hughes in for Joe. Getting some text messages. One person saying, I used to listen to you on Jerry Forbes' show. I thought you would have required therapy after that. Someone else saying, uh, I miss Phil McCracken. I'll have to tell you, like on that show, uh, it was a different time in radio. And uh, as Jerry and I were discussing this interview, we realized there was very little that we would actually be able to talk about today. So I'm glad that he made it on and we managed to get through. It is uh, the day before Valentine's Day and there's a new survey that was done by Escape Cannabis. It shows that a significant number of cannabis users like to add that element into their more intimate relationships. I'd like to welcome to the program Carlin Costa, retired psychotherapist, sexologist, and cannabis educator. And Carlin, this is something that seems to be quite a natural fit for a lot of people. Absolutely, especially Albertans. Albertans um, are... Uh are really excited, about, <laughs> especially the current cannabis users. And that's what the survey, um, that's who we surveyed, were current cannabis users across Canada. Uh, but the results, especially here in Alberta, were really interesting mm-hmm. because uh, a whopping 75% of cannabis users in the province have consumed cannabis as part of their sexual experience. And this is on all sides of things, before, during, after. Absolutely, absolutely. And because... Of those people, um, we would say that about 88, uh, 88% of them say that it actually made the sex better, right? That it, it made it better. It enhanced things for them. It made them feel a little bit more. Maybe relax them a little bit. Absolutely. It allowed them to uh, have a better connection with their partner and themselves. And as a psychotherapist and sexologist, that's how I try and support people is to look at different tools in way uh, in ways that people can support themselves to have a deeper, more meaningful intimate lifestyle. And I think that's the thing is that, you know, you'll often feel or hear of people feeling more relaxed after having a drink mm-hmm. or two or, mm-hmm. and to me, initially my thought would be, I cannot see this partnership working out because you have this stereotype in your head mm-hmm. of like Pink Floyd in a dark room and a bag of Doritos. And so you're not necessarily expecting this to be an enhancer, but uh, or something to add to the experience. But in fact, when you break it down and think of that, that people might be more comfortable, they might be more relaxed, that this would actually be quite logical. Oh, absolutely. The therapeutic potential of cannabis uh, for a variety of different uh, things that we're, you know, that daily life we go through, but especially when it comes to our intimate lifestyles is rather large. And that is what preliminary studies, even though many of them are in their infancy, uh, but are showing. How did Albertans compare to the rest of the country with regards to, was it just that here in Alberta we love to (laughs) make this partnership or is it something across the country? Yeah, so, you know, when it comes to sex and cannabis, essentially, the study didn't show too many significant differences across the country. Uh, It seems that no matter where you live, the majority of Canadian cannabis consumers uh, who have tried it feel that cannabis enhances their sexual experiences uh, in a variety of different ways. Uh, Totally off topic. What is the number one question that you get asked? (laughs) Because you must just have one or two that are go-to questions. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Pretty much, how do I make my sex life better? (laughs) 
is the number one question, and then we go from there. Isn't that a personal, a subjective answer, though? Yes, it is. But you know, I think everyone is trying to kind of look for that one quick fix, right? right? Aren't right. we in everything in life? Absolutely. <laughs> whether it's a pill, whether it's cannabis, whether it's you know even a mindset, right? Everyone's like, how do I make this better? And then that's where I say, all right, that's all I need is the open door. Now let's dive in and see where we can go. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, today is World Radio Day with the focus of dialogue, tolerance, and peace. And as I was scrolling around on my social media last night, I came across an interesting article about a new exhibit at Mount Royal University. Welcoming to the program now, I have Curtis Desatnik. He is the curator of this exhibit called Identity. Curtis, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Oh, thank you for having me. I thought this made a great tie to uh, the World Radio Day theme of dialogue, tolerance, and peace. Tell us a little bit about your exhibit identity. Um, yes. So the the whole premise of, of, of the exhibit, originally actually it started out as uh, the theme of, with a the theme of gender, um, sort of exploring that um, and what it means. Um, but as submissions started to come in through, through an open call, call process, um, we sort of refined it to identity and, and rather than just, you know, focusing on, on gender, we were sort of looking at everything that, um, you know, sort of defines us as people and, and how we, you know, how we, we use these titles and, and, and whatnot to, to define ourselves. So um, it sort of looks at um, not just um, uh, others and, and, you know, um, different groups within society, but also sort of the internal um, you know, dialogue that that we have with ourselves and, and figuring out, you know, our place in the world. I think this must have been so fascinating to start to see uh, as people were coming forward with their version of, you know, where this project should go, because I think identity might seem like a very narrow uh, niche topic, but actually it would really be something that could umbrella into so much. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I mean, some of the submissions that we received, I mean, a lot were looking sort of internally, um, self-reflective type type work, and then a lot of them were looking at, you know, um, other groups within society or, or you know, um, people that, that were close to the artists. So uh, we, we even had uh, one one gentleman who had submitted, and his work isn't up in the show, but um, he, his... Uh, um, his daughter is was, is uh, transgendered, and he had a series of uh, of work uh, based on that. So, um, it, yeah, it sort of it sort of encompasses the the uh, a larger scope, looking at um, identity as a whole. You and I were speaking off the air that Mount Royal University, while many things, is not a specific arts uh, focused uh, school, and so this exhibit will actually be up in the main building, in the entranceway to the main building for the next year. As the curator of of something like this, do you find it? is tempting to just go down into that area and get a feel for how people are receiving the work and what they're saying? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because, uh, you know, my, my name as curator has is actually on the wall. Um, people aren't shy about <laughs> sharing their feelings uh, on it. So um, I've already received quite a bit of feedback. And, and, um, and luckily, also, because of, uh, of, of the topic, um, we've had we've had quite a bit of interest from different faculties that actually want to incorporate it into, um, into some of their, their, uh, curriculum. So, um, yeah, absolutely. What kind of feedback have you had? Uh, it's been largely positive. I, <laughs> I, I, I can't say that I've gotten any, anything negative out of it. So, um, I mean, that may be coming, but um, <laughs> it usually yeah, is. Trust point. me. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. So what kind of pieces can people see if they head down to, to check this out at Mount Royal university? 
Um, so we have we have uh, there's four four separate artists. Um, uh, Sonia Lukash, she's she has a look um, more from the, the the female lens of things, um, not not you know. Um, and, and sort of the connection with with nature and deconstructing that. Um, Kaylin Mormon, um, another artist, hers is, is very self-reflective. Uh, probably of, of the four, the most self-reflective. Um, uh, and she has sort of a large-scale piece that 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 can't be missed. Um, Francis Wiley, another um, traditional photographer from from Calgary. Um, his his uh, his is more based on. Um, uh, drag. He, he had a few intimate portraits of, of uh, drag kings and one drag queen, um, and he sort of ties that to his uh, his past experiences uh, growing up in, in Calgary and Edmonton. Um, and then uh, Ellen uh, Fitzgerald Reichbart. Hopefully, I'm saying that name her name correctly. <laughs> um, she sort of looks at everything from from a, from a grand scope and just tying it all together and 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 sort of the connection that we all sort of share. Um, it's kind of a, a beautiful sort of way to to, to end the show. So um, yeah, so that's that's kind of what you can what you can ex- expect. I mean, um, I don't think I've given away too much. There's still quite a bit to be gained from from having a look. So well, it is uh, from what I saw in the article. It's certainly something worth going to see. And I think it's always great for us to have these conversations and uh, you know open the door to learning more about ourselves and others, even through that exploration of art. Curtis, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Oh, perfect. Thank you so much for having me. Just want to take a moment to thank you for taking the time to download and listen to the Calgary Today podcast. Don't forget to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'll chat with you soon.